Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? (laughs) Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 18. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about cryptid encounters, heightened horrors, ominous omens, and inhuman entities. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which includes the first two stories... If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscurrypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. 
and thank you for your support. It's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn the lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. Our first tale of terror this evening, from author Brandon Wills, is entitled Large Yellow Eyes. My name is John Dawson, and I was a beat cop for 22 years for a small town in rural West Virginia. People talk and stories get passed around, especially in small towns with few ears but big mouths. Sometimes the people knew a crime was going to happen before it would, and I would often be warned to patrol certain houses for a while. Sometimes nothing happened, sometimes I would break up a domestic disturbance. I never took that as a psychic thing, but just people who know other people so well that they could spot the signs, like nosy old ladies with nothing better to do. I'm going to explain to you the oddest thing I ever had to investigate, and it changed my life forever. Words are sometimes hard to find when you're talking about trauma, and this I know well from years in the forest. The best way I can think of describing it is that it was enormous, and covered in gray fur like a wolf, a werewolf. The night started off normally. I was driving around aimlessly, watching for bad drivers or some other event that could randomly happen in a small, unknown town. The radio blared, making me jump a little since it had been quiet that night. In at 5.12, you close to Dempsey's? 10.4, what's going on? Neighbors have reported someone or something prowling around the building. Possible 459. 459 means burglary. Oh, joy. I was hoping for some kid causing terror, not some armed, desperate lunatic trying to break into a gas station at two in the morning. I drove over that way and searched around the building. In the grassless mud, I saw some enormous paw prints. They were bigger than my palm. Coyote prints aren't nearly that big, and wolves have been extinct in this area for over 100 years now. I thought maybe the coyote had sank in the mud a little, so the prints spread out, but it didn't appear that way. Station, this is Unit 512, all clear. 10-4, Unit 512. I chose not to mention the tracks I found, but it stayed in my mind. What could make prints that big? Also, the callers thought it was a man. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have bothered calling the police over some animals sniffing around the building. Went back to my aimless wandering of the roads, got some food from a fast food joint, and continued. I was parked by an empty car wash, watching tractor trailers amble by every few minutes, eating my dinner. A flash ran past my passenger side door. Beside there was a vast, empty parking lot that went to another street. I looked around, didn't see anything. Out the driver's side door, I saw the biggest wolf I'd ever seen, sitting on its haunches and staring at me. After a few seconds, it ran off behind the car wash and probably into the woods, because it didn't come back. After snapping back to reality, I put the car into drive, heading down the road. 
I'd been shot at by a drunken redneck hellbent on getting revenge on his wife's lover, but even that didn't frighten me in the way that seeing that wolf frightened me. When you see something that you know for sure isn't an illusion or a trick of light, your brain just has trouble accepting it. I drove around for a while, half expected this thing to run out in front of my headlights. In at 512, there's a 1057 over at 22 Brooks Lane. Can you be over there in 5? 1057 means missing person. It's turning into a night for the record books. 10-4, be there as soon as I can. On came the lights and down went the accelerator. When I got there, I found a man and woman standing on the porch of their old coal camp house. The woman was crying with such fervor that I knew I wouldn't get much from her. The man was pacing. He was clearly distraught as well. Evening, folks. The man walked down and introduced himself as the husband. My daughter, Cassie. My wife went in to check on her before she went to bed and Cassie's window was open. Some of the stuff in her room was knocked around like there was a struggle. Neither of us heard anything. I was writing all of this down in my notebook. I'd like to go look, if that's okay with you. Sure, not, not a problem, officer. In the room, I found large claw marks under the window. From the pattern, you could assume this happened when it climbed back out. Quite a lot of her toys were knocked around, and her bedding was essentially shredded. In disbelief, I stared. This was about five miles from where I'd seen the wolf, but it was the first thing that popped into my head. I couldn't help but ask, This looks like an animal got in here. Did you hear any howling? Yeah, I did. It sounded like one of the neighbor's dogs, so I didn't think of it. What do you think it was? Not sure yet, but I'll add this to the notes. I'm going to have to have some more people come by and look. After a couple hours of checking the scene, the small forensics team left. They found some strands of gray thick hairs around the room, but no blood. They told me they thought it was an animal too, but they needed more evidence to officially call it that. I had about three hours left in my shift, so I went back to driving. I was driving along a section of town that used to be part of a coal mining community back around the early 1900s. A lot of the houses are dilapidated and left to rot by the coal companies. I drove past one when I saw something out of the corner of my eye. I stopped when I realized what it was. In between two abandoned houses, I saw the wolf sitting on its haunches, with an unconscious girl in its jaws, grinning. That grin didn't appear to be an animal grin, but like a human, a human who is overjoyed in its success. My instinct was to give chase, regardless if it's beast or man. With my Beretta, I went after the thing. I've never seen anything run that fast. In a flash, it was up an old oak tree. I didn't want to shoot because it had the girl and she might still be alive. Little oh, I couldn't remember her name. Are you okay? I yelled up the tree. No, she's not. Said a gravelly voice back to me. Startled, I shouted, You're a man? Oh, yes. Yes, I am. And this meal will fill me up for a while, too, Officer Dawson. I can't wait. From the top of the tree, 
It leapt across the backyard onto the hillside and bolted toward the peak. I fired three times but missed. It didn't take long for the wolf to climb over the peak and be out of sight. I was several yards from the car, so I grabbed my cell phone and called the station. You won't believe this. I just saw the girl. She was in the jaws of some wolf-like thing. Wolf-like thing? The station officer asked. Yes! It spoke to me and it knew my name. Dawson, there's no way. I'm telling you, it did. It went up the hill behind some abandoned houses near the old Campbell mine camp. Get a copter out there, ASAP then. As for the wolf, I'll pretend I didn't hear that. For your sake. He said as he hung up. They sent out a copter, and they did find the girl. Her midsection was devoured, just bones remained from her chest down. And the funeral was rough. The entire small police force that we had attended, and we saluted the girl as she was sent off to the great beyond. My wife handmade them a picture frame with multiple pictures of their daughter, Cassie. She was Cassie's homeroom teacher and was absolutely destroyed by what happened. It's been five years, and I still don't think she's completely over it. The last even to occur happened over a week later. Chief Workman gave me a paid week off over the few days prior. The events of the vicious murder of Cassie had finally started to simmer down. I was cruising through the business section of town a little after midnight, uh, looking the front and back ends of businesses. Unit 512, come in. This is Unit 512, go ahead. Got a possible 187 down on the far end of Miller Hollow. The driver by said they thought they saw a body in the ditch but didn't want to investigate. A 187 means murder, dead body. Great. Good way to start things off after my mini-vacation. 10-4, I'll go over that way now. Anxious, but I had a job to do. I went over there to the approximate area. I searched down the road. They said the body was spotted, and I found it. The body was covered in deep slashes all over his body, and to top it off, the head was missing. I shined my flashlight around, trying to find a sign of what might have happened or the head. Several yards up the hillside, I saw a tall, naked man grinning at me. He took off, running up the hill, and I never saw him again. The creepiest thing about him? Those large, yellow eyes. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Our second story this evening is entitled The Balcony by author Keith Daniels. I sat staring blankly at the screen for... How long, I can't be sure. Desperate for something to watch, read, listen to, in search of some stimulation that might exhaust my mind to the point where going to bed seemed like a good idea. I closed my eyes and strained hard, pressing for some idea of what to type in the search bar, but nothing came. It wasn't apparent to me how long I'd been sitting there, postponing sleep, gazing with glazed eyes at the monitor, and refreshing the same social network feeds over and over again, waiting for some idiot I didn't know or care about to update the world on their life happenings. Nothing changed, though. It was well past 2 a.m., and most people were rolling over, ripping up the sheets and drooling on their pretty pillowcases. Somewhere between the ears, a sharp pain fired off, and I realized I had a headache. Oh, great. Again. I reached for the bottle of ibuprofen sitting conveniently by my computer mouse, and washed down two of them with the last mouthful of my warm beer. Refresh. Nothing happened. Couldn't think of a song to listen to. Refresh. Same thing. No ideas for articles to read. Refresh. Nah, nothing. They're all sleeping, damn it. I snapped the laptop lid shut, went to look out the window. There was a street lamp directly across the street from my little apartment, which I suppose was the reason I hated going to bed so much. One of the reasons, anyway. There wasn't much to look at outside, either. Thin blanket of snow on the ground. Still cars in the neighbor's driveway. Couldn't see the stars. Must have been cloudy. The apartment was even less interesting. A pile of half-read novels lined up on the shelf, arranged by the size, from biggest to smallest. Dimensions, not pages. Drying rack full of dishes that were probably dry by now, but that could wait until tomorrow. Old flower-patterned couch made even more garish by the bright blue and yellow striped blanket hanging over the back. And the walls... The walls were the thing I hated most. Painted in that inoffensive, blind, mind-numbingly expressionless light beige that seemed to be omnipresent in every damn apartment I've ever been in. 
What I wouldn't have given to paint those walls. It would have been worth it. Even if the damn landlord kept my damage deposit. Leaving the window, I paced along the wall, dragging my hand as I had done over and over again in moments of boredom. Around the kitchen slash living room, divided by a half wall and made distinct by a clumsy architectural divider that reached off from the main wall by a couple of feet, and around the corner to the short and narrow hallway that led to my bedroom on the left and bathroom on the end. Strolled lazily into the bedroom, flicked on the light, looked around, flicked it off, and walked out again. Stopped for a quick piss in the bathroom, frowned in the mirror, then made my way back to the chair. I started flicking through the books on the shelf, but I couldn't decide which one to read, so I gave up and sat down on the horrendous couch, staring out the sliding glass balcony door. And that's when I saw it. At first, I thought my glasses were skewed, and I took them off, gave them a ritual wiping with my T-shirt, and put them back on again. Nope, it was still there. Hmm, it's weird. It wasn't anything shocking, nor was it one of those things that causes you to jump up in outrage. It just seemed a little bit odd. I'd been looking at the picture frame sitting on the half wall that stretched partway across the floor between the kitchen and the living room, which was perpendicular to the couch I was sitting on, and something about it didn't look quite right. The picture frame was all right. The half wall looked right, as much as any half wall can. But there was something funny about where it joined to the outer wall of the apartment. I couldn't be quite sure what it was exactly, but it seemed like the outer wall was a good foot or more farther from me than on the kitchen side than it was on the living room side. I gave it a frown and a giggle. Obviously, the landlord had done a bad job with the renovations and had done some miscalculations. And the inner paneling on the kitchen side was curved on one end. I don't know much about carpentry, but I had a basic understanding. Yeah, that's it. I got up, walked to the fridge for another beer, and glanced at the wall again. My explanation didn't convince me. As the wall looked flat as a wall could be, it was a damnedest thing because... From the kitchen side, the wall looked perfectly normal. Maybe it was the other side that was off. But I strolled back to the living room, and the wall on that side looked normal, too. It didn't make sense. I decided to forget about it, set myself back on the couch, and opened my beer. But there it was again. The wall in the kitchen looked farther than it should be, or the living room wall looked too close. It was hard to tell which was the case. But something was off, that much was certain. I took a gulp of beer and got up again. I walked over to the corner in the kitchen and ran my hand along the wall near the floor. It certainly looked like things were joining up at the right angles. I did the same on the living room side, and it looked perfectly normal. I even grabbed a book and stuck it between the floor and the wall and slid it across on both sides. And in both rooms, the book fit snugly where the floor and the wall met. Then I did the same between the wall and the room divider. Perfect right angles. I sat back on the couch again, and now it seemed even more apparent. It was as if the kitchen was longer than the living room, and impossibly so, as they both shared the same square space and outer wall of the building. It didn't make sense. 
The wall on the left was definitely farther than it was on the right side of the half wall. But how could that be so? I shuffled my way around the rooms, observing the dimensions with squinting discretion from every conceivable angle. No curve, no obvious deviations. If I could believe what my eyes were seeing, and I had no reason to doubt them before now, the kitchen should be protruding from the side of the building by about 12 to 15 inches. I was flabbergasted. It just shouldn't be. Even the thickness of the walls, which I guessed at about 6 inches, wouldn't account for such an error. It wasn't the way the geometry worked, but when I looked again from the couch, the difference between the distances on the two sides was impossible to ignore. What the hell? Surely, I thought. There must be some mistake. And the wall was joined awkwardly, and I just hadn't noticed it before. I'd have to go out on the balcony to reassure myself and take a look at the outside wall of the building. My balcony ran the entire length of the kitchen-slash-living room wall, placing the discontinuity about halfway down its length. Surely the exterior of the wall would reveal an outward jump. Now it made sense. I couldn't believe I hadn't noticed it before. I slid open the glass door and tiptoed out into the winter air, the thin snow layer crunching and squeaking under my socks. But to my surprise, the wall was entirely flat. I flicked on the balcony light to be sure. Perfectly flat. Straight, with no visible joins or angles anywhere. I pressed my hands hard against the coal vinyl siding and ran them from the sliding door all the way down to the railing at the end. Defeated, I made my way back inside and slid the door shut. I peeled off my wet socks and hung them over the edge of the bathtub to dry and retreated to the couch once more, rubbing my cold feet. It was at this point I started to feel uncomfortable in a way that was almost indescribable. The very image of what I was seeing didn't make sense. It was such a departure from simple logic that my brain couldn't concoct any sort of explanation at all. The sensation that trickled over me was something that I can only describe as the opposite of déjà vu. The sheer, unfamiliar, and nonsensical nature of the wall was all I could think about. I had to prove to myself that it wasn't real. I stomped down the hall to my bedroom, bare feet slapping on the floor, snatched my belt off the dresser, and brought it out. I moved the chair, slid the kitchen table out of the way, so I had a quick, clear path around the half wall. I even took the picture frames off the wall and laid them on the table, nothing to get in the way. I started on the right side. I let the belt buckle touch the outer wall and pulled it tight. The distance from the wall to the end of the divider was about half the length of the belt. I pinched my fingers hard on the belt, marking the length I had measured. Now I marched around to the kitchen, put the belt buckle against the wall and pulled the belt tight. It was impossible, I thought. It was truly impossible. The belt wouldn't even reach from the wall to the end of the divider. I leaned against the wall, my mind whirring with thoughts, questions. The one thought that dominated my being was that the space I was standing in, leaning against that wall, should not exist. If common sense were any sense at all, I should be on the balcony right now, staring at the vinyl siding on the outside of the building. 
A sudden feeling of dread washed over me. I felt hot and sick and shaky. I started to wonder what might happen if I were to close my closet, but at that thought, the fear became so intense that I jumped away from the wall and ran to the bathroom, where I promptly retched up my beer and what undigested remains there were of my supper. What was happening to me? I had to sleep. Yeah, that's it. I was exhausted and it had been a long week. Maybe it was the headache pills, I thought. I'd down them with alcohol, after all. And mixing drugs with booze can do crazy stuff, right? I closed my eyes hard, nodding my head and trying to convince myself that I had been hallucinating. I was sleep-deprived. I needed sleep. I flushed the toilet, brushed my teeth, splashed water in my face, and turned to look down the hall. I realized then that I had left the balcony door ajar, and the cold winter air was putting a chill in the apartment. I started, but stopped again, when my peripheral vision revealed to me something which unnerved me in a way I'd never known. It was, at that point, which I began to think I was losing my mind. On the left side of the half-wall, the kitchen stretched on, far beyond the physical limitations of my building, and filling that impossible space was, and it frightens me to say it, a perfect mirror image of my own. The table, chairs, cupboards, and even the overflowing drying rack lay in perfect reverse imitation of my own real kitchen. It was as though the wall of the kitchen had been replaced by a reflective surface, but as far as I could tell, this was not the case. I breathed deep, shaking uncontrollably, as I made my way slowly down the hall to the kitchen. I stopped halfway at the linen closet, which sat opposite my bedroom door, and grabbed the broom and screwed the broom handle and clutched it tightly as I would a spear. It did nothing to make me feel safer. I moved slowly, one foot at a time, holding the broom handle out in front of me and breathing heavily. As I got nearer, though, I could see that the discontinuity did not only mirror the kitchen, it was the entire apartment. When I reached the point where the wall had been, I stopped and stretched out my hand. Nothing but empty air. This couldn't be a hallucination, could it? No, something else was at work here, something frighteningly real. There was a draft moving through the air, flowing like a soft wind, and I realized that the sliding door to the balcony must also be ajar over there. I should close it. That seemed to make sense, at least. I prepared myself to enter the space that should not be. Something about it still made me afraid to close my eyes... So I decided to try my best not to blink before walking over. Come on, you, you gotta do this. I had a goal now. Simple enough, but still, that small purpose helped quiet the thoughts in my head a little. I swallowed, breathed deep, and walked into the impossible room. Made my way past the chairs, the books. Even the picture frames were there, but something about the pictures wasn't right and I averted my eyes as I passed. I turned right around the half-wall and came to face the balcony door. I was right, it was open. However, what I saw beyond the door was not what I had expected. I had prepared myself by taking into account the twisted anti-logic of the discontinuity to encounter a second balcony. 
This was a whole new deviation. Nonetheless, I made my way through back to the real living room and slide the balcony door shut. I sat on the couch again, picked up the half-drunk beer and took a gulp. Spilled some on my shirt. I didn't know what else to do but try and understand the situation as best I could. There was no balcony anymore. From where I sat, I could see the second kitchen to my left, beyond the real one, and through the sliding glass door I could see the opposing living room, couch and all, even the bloody half-drunk beer sitting on the coffee table. If I told myself that the kitchen wall and the balcony door were mirrors, I could nearly believe I was still sane. Yeah, I thought. It's just a mirror. Just a big illusion. Reflection. That's the coffee table, my couch, my beer. All that's missing is... I heard a noise behind me. Coming from what sounded like the bedroom. A faint thwump. Like the sound of something soft, clumsily hitting the floor. I froze. I could feel my eyes tighten. My pulse throbbed sickeningly in my neck. I could feel the cold sweat seeping through my clothes. I had to escape. I clutched the broom handle as tightly as I could and ran for the front door. I grabbed the knob, whipped open the chain lock, and twisted it open in a frenzy. Tears filled my eyes, and the scream my body had tried to produce had stopped at the dry lump on my throat. I slammed it shut again, as hard as I could have, and locked it. I pressed my back against the door and let myself slide limply down, down, down onto the floor. There was no exit. Outside the door had been just another entranceway like my own. An exact reflection. And then I heard the noise again. Thwump. Coming from the bedroom. And again. Thwump. Louder this time. Thwump. The bedroom door opened slowly. Thwump. There were footsteps. Thwump. Thwump. They were coming down the hall. I do not know what gave me the strength to move in that instant. Some primal instinct, some basic will to survive kicked in. I would not sit sobbing in a corner, waiting for whatever cruel and impossible fate awaited me. I would not. I launched myself from the entranceway and made for the balcony door. I flew across the kitchen, grappled the half-wall and swung my weight as best I could across the living room floor. I snatched the sliding door handle, heaved it open, and burst into the room that should not be. I drove it shut behind me, flicked the lock, and ran left, around the half wall to face whatever it was that had come from this impossible place, not daring to blink until I passed the boundary back into the real kitchen. I stopped short. The wall had returned. Solid. Real. I would have to go back through the balcony door again, but at least I had the upper hand. The door was locked from this side. I clenched my fist so tightly around the broom handle that my fingernails must be drawing blood from my palms. My eyes were stinging now, but I still dared not blink. I could not let the perverse logic of the space get a chance to warp itself again, not while I was still inside it. Then there was another noise. Not the muffled footsteps from before, but a clear, sharp tick. The sound of metal and springs in intricate precision. The sound of the balcony door being locked from the other side. No! I rushed to the sliding door and unlocked it, but it wouldn't budge. I could see the lock switch on the other side, the real side, 
and it was engaged. I screamed. I swore. I cried. I yanked and tore and heaved and kicked and pounded the door over and over and over. It was no use. No matter how much force I put on the damn door, it wasn't going to move. It didn't even shake. As long as it was locked from the other side, I would never be able to open it. I was defeated. My eyes were still open. I refused to let myself blink, and my vision had gone horribly blurry. They burned like fire from the air and my hysteria, but I couldn't blink. I could not let that happen. I had to keep the real world in sight. And then I saw the figure. I watched with horror through the glass as the figure reclined on my couch. It picked up my half-drunk beer and took a long swig. They were looking in my direction, staring out the glass of the sliding door right at me. By now my eyes were aching so badly, and my vision was so impaired that I could scarcely pick out any details, but I knew what it was. The realization of it was the end for me. I've not felt true, unhindered hope or joy or contentment since that moment, and I fear that I never shall. The figure on the other side was me. It might have been an hour, maybe two, maybe three, that I knelt there with my forehead against the glass. I never did let my eyes shut that night. I held the lids open for so long that my sight left me entirely. I did not know when it was that I finally slipped into unconsciousness, but it was not of my own free will. When I awoke in the morning, I found myself staring out onto the balcony. The sun was glowing through the trees, and I could see crows flying in the distance. I slid the door open and fell out onto the snow-covered wood and stayed there for a very long time, watching the ice crystals melt in my breath. By the time the cold drove me inside, the sun was well up, and cars were moving on the roads. In the weeks and months that followed, I paced in and out of that balcony door so many times a day I would lose count by noon. I didn't want to stay in that apartment one moment longer, but the madness of the discontinuity wouldn't let me leave. I was obsessed with finding a way back to the world from which I had come. The breaking point came sometime in March. I can't remember when exactly. When the landlord came pounding on my door, responding to multiple noise complaints, I'd been attempting to tear down the kitchen wall with a framing hammer. There was a commotion, and I had a few very long talks with police, but eventually the landlord agreed not to press charges, so long as I moved out immediately and paid an extra three months' rent to cover the damage. I took the offer. I convinced the cops that I didn't know much about renovating, but I was sick to death of that damn paint and had to do something about it. It's been a few years now, and I've distanced myself from that place. I've since gotten a new job, made disastrous attempts at love. I've made things work as best I can, going from one day to the next. I've come to think of this world as real. I have no other choice. I will never return to the other side, not now. As time goes on, it becomes even harder to remember that it ever existed in the first place. To this day, I can't bear looking in the mirror. It seems to me that behind the eyes of my reflection, there is some hint of malevolence, though at times it looks to me more like gloating. I remind myself every morning that I am real. I am here, wherever here is. 
Impossible, I know. This world is mine now. I've come to see the obscure beauty in it. There's one thing that reminds me of the world I thought I knew, though. It happens every day when I watch the sun rising. I always expect it to come up in the west. But it never does. It never does. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases including premium versions of our other shows such as the Simply Scary Podcast and Horror Hill. Not only that but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thank you very much for your support. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. 
And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.